0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Mother-Daughter Team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is Drunk Driving, Forgiveness with Prevention and our guest is Lieutenant Carl McDonald. Lieutenant Carl McDonald has had a 20-year career with the Wyoming Highway Patrol. Carl was the recipient of the Distinguished Service Medal and numerous director's commendations. Carl has recently retired from the patrol in order to accept a position as the National Law Enforcement Initiative Coordinator with MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. In January 1998, Lieutenant McDonald's 5-year-old daughter, Carly, was tragically killed in a drunk driving collision near Green River, Wyoming. It was especially painful for Carl, as his ex-wife was the driver of the car. In the aftermath of this horror, Lieutenant McDonald put his energies into a heartrending public service announcement about this catastrophic event. The work on the public service announcement led into an award-winning 20-minute documentary about the crash called Carl and Carly's Story, We Have to Make It Stop. Lieutenant McDonald continues his work and shares his heart in honor and memory of his precious daughter, Carly. Welcome to the show, Carl.
1: Thank you, Heidi.
0: Hey, good, Carl. It's great morning, to talk Gloria. to you. Great to
2: have you on. Uh, well, Carl, you know, Heidi and I have known you, what, for about four years now? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, probably four to five.
2: Four to five years, and we get together at Compassionate Friends, and uh, Carl does the professional day, and Heidi and I do that. and. Or to, as in the past, you're not going to be able to join us this year, unfortunately. Well, fortunately for you, you've got an interesting new job. But um, we've gotten together, and, Car- and Carl has done the uh, first responder, which we want to talk about a bit, too. But Carl, so Heidi and I have never really heard your story completely, and we would love to figure out how to uh, watch this tape sometime. But yes,
0: I'd, yeah. lo- I'd love to get a copy of that tape. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can get you a copy of that, Heidi. That's
2: Cause, not a problem. Because uh, Heidi teaches some grief and loss at Columbia that she'd love to have that Now, work. Now,
0: Carl, what about our listeners? If they wanted to get a copy of that, how would they do that?
1: They're, they are still available through the Wyoming Department of Transportation. Okay.
0: And uh,
1: their their uh, website is fairly lengthy and, and convoluted. So I, if you Google the Wyoming Department of Transportation, you will find... Uh, 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 links to their home page and then uh, contact numbers are there.
2: Mm-hmm. And the name of that is, again, is Carl and Carly's story. Um, we have to make, to make a stop. Yeah, Carl, could you tell us a little bit about the whole event and your life and, and we'll get on to what's happened to you now but that early early experience. You were a highway patrolman?
1: Yes. Um, I have a, a had a career going in law enforcement at the time. Um, I was uh, divorced from my ex-wife, um, and I had sole custody of my five-year-old daughter, Carly. And um, it, it was a kind of a difficult path in in the divorce because I, I found out in this relationship that uh, my wife had a, an addiction to alcohol, and uh, I took some steps to to get her treatment, and uh, she declined. And so I, I, I pulled out the only option left, and that was to try to uh, remove my daughter from the situation. Uh, I had great concerns about this, and uh, so a divorce ensued. And, and ultimately, my ex-wife uh, forfeited um, parenting for this child in order to keep drinking, and um, that's how deep the, the addiction was at that point.
2: Mm-hmm. And how old was Carly? Uh
1: she was five years old. Okay. Uh she was only two and a half years old when, when the divorce was uh finalized. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> That you know, that's just a horrible deal, but I was trying to make the best of it. Right. right. So, um there was a, a a period of time uh, when we shared custody. Um, my ex-wife moved to Green River, Wyoming, and I was living in Rollins, Wyoming. And I was a division supervisor for 14 troopers over there. Uh, I was a sergeant at the time, and. Uh, there, there came a time in in the visitation schedule where uh, less and less contact was had with my daughter, uh, which was a pretty sad thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was taking place behind the scenes was that this addiction was getting a little bit worse, uh, very much worse. And uh, and Susan had neglected her visitations. Um, mm-hmm. There came a point around the Christmas holidays where she she finally called and and asked for uh, my daughter on a visitation, and I granted that. I uh, although I was concerned about her safety, I, I was under the the, the orders of, of a court to um, to allow visitation and to encourage visitation, and I was trying to be a citizen, and uh, and so. Uh, my daughter went off for a Christmas time visit with her shortly after Christmas, and uh, on January 2nd she was due back uh, at my home in Rollins, Wyoming.
3: Mm-hmm. On the
1: evening of January 1st at 6:30 p.m., uh, my my ex-wife was driving a car with a very high blood alcohol content of .22 mm-hmm. percent.
2: And what's the legal?
1: Uh, legal at the time in Wyoming was .10. Wow! Um, It is now universally in the country at 0.08. So that would have been almost uh, three times the legal limit of what we have today. Um, This is a a level of intoxication where most people uh, have blackout experiences, where they forget things that that took place. Um, The collision. that resulted from her driving in this condition was uh, severe, to say the least. Uh, She was driving from one town to the next, a distance of 12 miles, and she got onto an uh, entrance ramp of Interstate 80. Um, On that ramp ahead of her uh, was a slow-moving tractor trailer. He had his four-way flashers operating, and he was looking for a place to pull over running about 20 miles an hour, and uh, Susan's car overtook this tractor-trailer at a speed of about 75 miles an hour, and she collided directly into the back end of this mm-hmm. trailer. Um, the right front uh, side of the car was was involved in the collision. It was a, a severe collision, and the right front seat was an unsurvivable place in that car. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where my daughter was seated. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in that seat. She was seat belted in. Um, there was an unused booster in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the age of five, she should have been in the booster. She should have been in the back seat.
2: It wasn't even legal for her to be in the front, right?
1: Um, it, at the time, it was not against the law, uh, no. But now it,
2: was, it is, isn't
1: it? Yes. It is now, and um, it was certainly uh, well advertised that this is—we put our children in the back seat, we Mm use boosters until age of eight uh, or nine years old, and and, uh, so it—you know—to sum the whole thing up, as as a state trooper, this was uh, the fabric of a nightmare.
0: Uh Horrendous. Yeah, it's so ironic that you were a state trooper and this is how your daughter died.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it, just a horrible experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now, how did you
2: find out? You're, you were how far away from the accident? Uh,
1: I lived 100 miles away, mm-hmm. and um, it, was, it was New Year's Day. I had the day off, oh, okay. and I was in uh, a small town uh, called Saratoga, about 45 five miles away from home. And uh, I had to keep 24-hour-a-day uh, contact with our dispatch center um, because of my job duties. And in that particular area where I was, I phoned in first and told them I'd be in Saratoga, where there's uh, limited cell phone coverage at the time. And, uh, and I told them that. And um, uh, the crash took place at 6.30. And I uh, phoned in again at 8 p.m. and told them I was on my way home. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it was an interesting One of those experiences that that bereaved parents, uh, unfortunately, have is uh, when I phoned in, the dispatcher said, uh, I asked, is everything quiet? She said, yes. And she said, where are you? Which is a strange question. Mm
3: -hmm. And
1: and I said, well, I'm I'm just outside of my house. Uh, I'm coming up the street now. And she said, okay, Uh, and hung up the phone. Oh, there was a there was a state patrol car there waiting for me, mm-hmm.
3: uh,
1: which is not an unusual event because I mm-hmm. had people, fourteen troopers working for me, and mm-hmm. they often had questions. Um, the notification was was uh, was one of those things that that burns in our memories forever.
3: Mm-hmm. Unfortunately,
1: I, I remember this. And we'll always remember this as as though it just took place.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the trooper came up to my window and said, uh, "There's been a crash. There's been a bad crash in Green River, and you have to go with me right away." Mm-hmm. And I was thinking at the speed of light, and I hung my hopes on on his words. And mm-hmm. I thought, "In Green River means in town. Speeds might have been slow. I have to go right away. That means my daughter's injured, but." she's probably surviving.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What happened, is, as um, often happens, is I was, as I described, hanging on every word that he said. And I, I was thinking at the speed of light that um, he said that there's been a bad crash in Green River and I have to take you there right away. And what I did was I, I told him, let me run inside, grab a bag, and I'll, um, let's, we'll go.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh I I was physically trotting for the front door running for the front door mm-hmm. and he chased after me realizing oh my god I've got an I've got a mistake going on here and he grabbed my arm outside of that front door
3: mm-hmm. and he
1: said no he said Carly didn't make it
3: mm. wow oh wow
1: realizing that here I was with some hope in my heart
3: right mm-hmm.
1: and um uh, and he needed to, to break the news. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, of 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 watershed events and and, and big moments in someone's life. I, I can't imagine. Uh, uh, I can't imagine anything like this mm-hmm. for anyone to experience. And, yeah. and many of your listeners have gone through the exact same thing.
2: Absolutely, Heidi's gone through
0: it as a sibling.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, and I've gone through it as a mom. And like and you
0: said, you can never prepare yourself. Even though you were in the highway patrol, there's no way to prepare yourself when you're the one that's receiving that kind of news about your own child.
1: No. Yeah. No, it, uh, and, and there's no good way of, of going through that. Um,
2: now, I know I wanted human contact. Did you feel that way?
1: Well, I, I, unfortunately, I was I, I was stuck right there. I was standing on my front porch and inside the window I could see my mother sitting in a chair just a few feet away from me through the glass. And what I wanted to do was scream.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure.
1: And I couldn't because I didn't want to frighten her.
2: Oh, yeah, because I remember screaming and falling on the ground. I don't know. Uh, What did you do? I was going
0: to say the same thing. Screaming and falling on the ground was was pretty much the response of my father and myself and our family.
1: Yeah.
0: And you Mm -hmm. wanted to do that, yeah, Carl. But
2: you couldn't.
1: Right. I couldn't. And I uh, have often said, you know, I still somewhere in me have that scream.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, you know what's interesting, Carl, when you say you still have that scream, is that two things come to mind. One is that my uncle went up in the mountains several days. I think it was about a week after Matthew died, my cousin, who was with my brother at the time, and he screamed in the mountains as loud as he could, and he screamed Matthew's name over and over and over. And he could hear the echo come back. And he said it was very therapeutic. So,
1: Yeah.
2: And then we had someone on the show the other day. I was just trying to think of who. Mitch it. Carmody. Yeah, Mitch Carmody was talking about that uh, his father had died, and he did actual p- primal scream therapy because yeah. he had his father had died, and he never grieved for it when he was 15, and then his son was killed, and he had to go do this scream therapy. And he said it really helped him because he felt like he had a lump in his throat for forever. So mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying, that scream
3: just to
2: get out to that, that pain and agony. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So, so you um, tell me about your anger, Carl. I, I, as I recall, when we first knew you, you had a huge amount of anger against your ex-wife Susan. Yes. And she actually ended up going to prison, right? Yes. Mm.
1: Um, ultimately, she survived the collision, um, and um, she never did plead guilty to the crime. Uh, we had an arrangement where she uh, she pled no contest on uh, on an open-ended, non-agreed sentence, um, and to make a long story short, ultimately she served 14 months in prison. Um, the day she was sentenced, um, it, I I often think about this because there there is such an issue in the media about whether or not uh, the the victims feel. Vindicated when there's a verdict out of a court, and it, and it comes up all the time with recently with Zacharias uh-huh.
3: Um
1: It came up with the Oklahoma City bombing and Timothy McVeigh. Um, it, regardless of what decision comes from a court, at least in my experience, there there's no vindication. Yeah, and, and that's I, very
2: interesting because I I do a workshop on anger at the Compassionate Friends conference, and that's what I get to. That people come in, they're angry. They don't feel vindicated even when it happens, and people will be there going to court, and they'll say, "We're going to court. We're going to get these people." And then you'll have a couple of people there who said, "We've done it. We went, and we didn't feel. I don't feel any better."
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did have the the privilege of making a victim impact statement,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, which was. Um, it, I, I think that's a wonderful thing for our courts to do, right. but the but the 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 people giving those need to know. Um, and I was cautioned by a very wise prosecutor
3: mm-hmm.
1: that the defendant will not hear you. They mm-hmm. will not hear a word of what you have to say because that is a horrible time in their life and their minds will not allow them your words to sink in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The judge, however, will. And that's why you're there.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're also doing it for yourself, aren't you, so that you can kind of
2: be heard.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay. But
2: but, I think that's a good point that the that Lou Cox says that he's a victim's advocate. I don't know if you've met Lou, but he says that um they don't care, they'll never care. I mean, right. you know, and maybe it's a little different where it was your ex wife's child uh but you know a stranger on the street or that commits a crime or something doesn't care,
1: yeah, and I and never I, will even in this circumstance i she never heard anything that mm-hmm. I said um, and i I understand that i i uh i I'll tell you it 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 was for me um uh, and i and I said this in my statement to the court that this was one of the last official acts as Carly's father
2: mm-hmm.
1: that I would have, yeah,
2: that's very sweet
1: and um and i you know I thank the court for the privilege of being able to do that um, mm-hmm. the uh at the end of this, because of the publicity and and the um heavy media. Involvement. They 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 always wanted to comment on the sentencing, and and in the in the terms of traffic safety and what I did for a living, and those things, I had an obligation to tell the media that that uh, a sentence uh, she was sentenced two to five years, Mm -hmm. Um, and I and I had an obligation to tell them that a two to five year sentence. Uh, What I said was that's that's normally a sentence assigned to people who commit property crimes and, mm-hmm. and uh, burglaries, forgeries, and things like that. And, and this involved the death of a child, and it was insufficient. Uh, mm-hmm. However, in my heart, um, because the process was done and the system worked through this meat grinder of a process, I was okay with the sentence. Uh, when I walked into this whole thing, I had to tell my family on about day three after the crash that, that they need to expect that there's very possible she would get five years probation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this whole aspect of this woman has killed her own child. Uh, how can a court inflict punishment upon her that's any worse than what she's mm-hmm. experiencing on her own? Mm-hmm. Uh, that presented a struggle extent. for me.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Carl, what would you say to to our folks out there right now who are maybe in the first year or two, and a family member has been involved in the death of their child?
1: You know, I, um, that's a great question, and and I would say I would say that that what you need to do before you do anything else is lean into the grief of your loss um, and and put aside. Those things that have to do with the with the system first, because uh, your anger will get focused towards the system and the people involved and the investigators and the whatever uh, is going on. Um, you may have a collision report in your hands that you don't understand or that you don't believe, and you want to talk with somebody. And hopefully you get the chance, but don't focus there. Focus towards your loss. Uh, because that's where your energies need to go at some point. Um, and kind of
2: hard to do that er- really early on, though, because of the anger, isn't it? Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah. Um, the the it, it's basic needed work. It's gonna it's pay me now or pay me later, though. Um, mm-hmm. So as soon as you can, lean into this grief. And How long lost. did it
2: take you, Carl, to do that? Do you feel like you did it early enough, or do you?
1: Um, I, because of the the process, I was tied up for about six months, um, and then I, I took some time and went away, and um, but there was a break in the court system. There was a promise of, of this no contest plea, and so I, I took a break, went away, and and spent time with my own grief and my own loss.
2: Yeah, it's it's hard for families where these things get dragged out for years and years in the court too, isn't it?
1: Yes. She was ultimately served 14 months in prison and then uh, uh, was released with one year of, of supervised probation in, a, in, a, in an outtake program.
2: Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is really important that, in case our listeners didn't listen to the last segment, is what you said. I thought it was very profound about even though you um, give the victim impact statement in court, that some very wise person said to you, you really can't expect the person, the perpetrator, to hear it, right?
1: No, that's, that's, uh, it, it's, it's just not going to happen that way. They're, they're not going to listen.
2: So you can tell our folks out there it's not going to happen. They're not going to get, someone said they wanted, uh, retribution, you know, whatever. It's, it's not an easy thing to get, is it?
0: Now, with that, and I'm going to just add on to something and go back a little bit. You said that, and, and I heard you say that, but I'm wondering, Carl, you, my mom and I were struck by how much you've changed over the last four and a half years. Because when we first met you, you were really, really angry, understandably so, and uh, I could kind of feel that wall of anger around you. And over the years, it feels like you've been less and less angry. It's been a gradual process. Am I am I right in saying that?
1: Oh, I, I think you're you're right on the nose, sir.
0: Okay, we. Were, I guess I was wondering for our listeners, uh, what do you think helped that helped you to let go of some of your anger?
1: Well, I I, I had to uh, do the 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 most important work early on, and 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 stop directing my anger at the, the perpetrator of this, because it, all it was doing was hurting me. Mm-hmm. Uh, anger that resides in us uh, is is like consuming some sort of a poison into our systems in order to make the other person sick. Um, it's not going to happen, and uh, I. Necessarily, I was trying to sort this out. I mean, I, I've never been wounded by another person mm-hmm. in, in anything approaching this. Uh, and and so that causes an injury. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that healing is a process that, that I would say a, a, a number of people have said in the last uh, three, four years, they've seen a marked improvement in me. It just takes a long time.
2: You know, I wouldn't want to say exactly improvement, Kyle, because you've always been a great guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, you're a good-looking guy. You're a great guy. I would think more, uh, less improvement than uh, maybe change. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I. You know, I, I I spent a lot of time in, in what I refer to as my cave. Um, I stayed away from people. Um, I, I Necessarily, I had to come out of my cave and go to work. But uh, when my work was done, I was at home. And... Uh, I made up all kinds of excuses. People that I still work with believe that my my bedtime is (laughs) (laughs) 8.15. not necessarily true, but I made it up so they believe it. So Uh they leave me alone and not ask me. So you you isolated
0: yourself initially?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: And Um, and what about your siblings? Were they a support system?
1: Yes, very strongly. Um, Mm I'll bet for the first two years my, uh, my sister Sally, who lives in Washington D.C., talk about separation, uh, I'll bet she called every day. Wow. Uh, without fail. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for two years. Wow. Yeah, wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it just, it, it's just been a long, long path.
2: Well, it, it, I think that it's incredible. When my son was killed, I was the psychiatric nursing consultant to the surgical service at the University of Rochester, and I worked with people who were in automobile accidents, and you know, who were in the hospital for surgery and and death and dying. That was my field, and um, I did it. I I did it for about uh, a year, and then I, I I bailed out by going back to school. Uh, you know, because I I really couldn't handle it anymore. How did you handle staying in the Highway Patrol?
1: Well, that that was that was not easy either. I I stayed in Rollins as a division supervisor for the next two years after the collision, and um, the the final year I I put 34 people in uh, in body bags, uh-huh. and I I finally went to my department. There was an opening in Cheyenne, uh, an administrative opening, and I went to my department and said. I think i I need to cry, uncle here, and uh I'd like to apply for this administrative opening because I need a break from the road um, I was out arresting drunk drivers i was i was
2: did, did you how were you did you feel like you were mean or, uh, or yeah.
0: were you more punitive arresting drunk drivers
1: um you know the 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 people that were um helpless and And many of them are that way when they're in that condition. Um, I was okay with, but I will tell you that there were some uh, that were uh, fighting me,
3: mm-hmm.
1: spitting, cussing, yelling, screaming, all those things that the nasty ones do uh, that i I had patients problems, and I had my all the guys that worked for me knew that, and I told them that. Very, very much up front. I said, if you hear me holler for help, please come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it may not be that I'm 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 in uh, in in a deadly situation or anything like that. It may just simply be when you get there that I I cannot control my temper and I need to walk away from somebody. And that that did happen on
2: occasion. Mm-hmm. This is really interesting because I don't know about you, but at first. When I went back to work, I I really hung on to being really confident. I really wanted to show that I could do the job. Did you feel that way?
1: I, I wanted to, but I couldn't. I, it was impossible for. Yeah, me. you
2: really felt like you wanted to, though. I mean, you're oh, yeah. inside you're dying, on the outside you're showing that you're in control.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I had 14 people counting on me, and I probably my greatest regret is is the way I probably let them down during that time. Uh, a lot of things happened that that I wasn't really there for them, and and, uh, and I, I will. That's probably without a doubt my one of my greatest regrets. But but none of us had a choice at the time, and and they were great to put up with me and support me in the way they did.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, how do you it back in school? So you had the same thing, trying to show that you were confident.
0: Right, and I was going to comment on something. Called somebody said he wasn't there for people. It's so hard to be there for anyone when you're just trying to be there for yourself and keep yourself together after something like a sudden death and something so tragic as the death of your daughter.
1: Yeah, oh. I, I would compare it to some sort of, a, uh, at times, a reptilian survival mode uh, mm-hmm. where where I could not bring my focus outside of myself. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why I, I was just incapable of, of solving some of the, the problems that, that I was supposed to solve because they didn't amount to much in my in my world.
2: Isn't that the truth? There's then, and then there's now. Mm-hmm. So, what can we all say to the people out there who are newly bereaved about your job? Um,
1: I would I would say that that you you can stay with your work. You need to stay with your work. It it is vital not to make any any drastic decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially least, the first year. Yeah. Yeah, lean. Tell
2: on, people what you need. Yeah, I lean on others
1: because yeah. um, it's perfectly fine. It's it's against the rules of our culture, but at this time, kind of time, it's perfectly fine to say, you know, I need help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I even need,
0: when you're not saying that, I noticed your sister kept calling you every day, which I love. That's such a great. She was such a great support system, and that's why I love having my sisters. She kept checking in with you, even though everybody else thought you were in bed at eight fifteen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my sisters were calling me too. I remember once I took a sleeping pill, and they called me in the middle of the night, and they called my neighbor. They were so worried about me. I remember that. Yeah. So yeah, and you do need to let people know that you you might be crying, you might have to leave, you know, whatever it is that you need. You got to take care of yourself. So yeah, but as as I think, Carl, you just made a really important point. It's, it's important that you don't make any big drastic decisions the first year. Always oh, it's
0: vital. It's so strange saying that you are the National Law Enforcement Initiative Coordinator for Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and I guess I was just wondering if your organization ever thought about changing it to PAD, Parents Against Drunk Driving.
1: You know, there's been a lot of discussion about that. Our our current national president is a man.
2: Oh, yeah. By the way, I had him on the show, and just for our audience, October 27th, uh, we had the show with Glenn Birch. Great guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: He wonderful tells a wonderful guy. story, and I highly recommend that you tune into that show if you haven't heard it.
1: Yeah, there's uh, there's there's often comments about that, but um, you know that's a small thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we
2: uh,
0: Mad's such a great name. <laughs> it is. Well, it is true. It is a great name. <laughs>
1: it is, and and it, it it has at this point. There was a survey done uh, recently. Um, on a, on a national level, 90% of the, of the American public knows what Mothers Against Drunk Driving is.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Compassionate friends huge. would like to get that kind of recognition. Uh, you know, name brand name recognition it's fabulous.
1: Yeah, it's huge. It's um,
2: fabulous. And
0: that could also represent just being mad that your child was killed, you know?
1: Well, initially that's how it started. Oh, okay. Um, and um, th- what they do in in... Uh, in at least one branch of the organization, in victim support, is they walk people through those those tough first steps in uh, victim support, guiding them through the legal system, being there with them when when they're
2: uh, the advocacy earlier? Really, yeah. going through
1: this and uh, helping them with victim impact statements and things like that. Well, you
2: even train people to be public speakers, isn't yeah. that right?
1: Absolutely.
3: Okay. Pretty amazing.
2: Well, Carl, on a personal level, I want to say something about Matt. I, when I was thinking about what to call this topic, I, I was thinking drunk driving, and then I was thinking we have to make it stop. And then I thought, that's not Carl anymore. Carl is forgiveness with prevention.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I really think you have have a, a profound amount of forgiveness.
1: I've, I've reached that point. Um, uh, I, I I believe, I'll tell you that... that um, Another milestone in, the, in my walk here is that uh, I just went through this Mother's Day, which is yesterday, mm-hmm, exactly. um, and uh, I don't know how to put this delicately, but, but I went through the entire day without any homicidal thoughts. And I <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I think that's good for listeners to hear that having Absolutely. homicidal thoughts is normal. Yeah. Absolutely, as long well as you don't
1: act on that <laughs> yeah, and I you know for years I've told everybody that I'm doing pretty well that i, I I'm, I'm good with the forgiveness thing until I go to church on Mother's Day and they start talking about the beauty of motherhood and this and that, and mm-hmm. pretty soon I find myself being homicidal mm-hmm.
2: um, so so yesterday was really the litmus test
1: it was it was.
3: Yeah, um,
2: well don't you think part of it is, um, I don't know, for me there's something that feels very sim- symbolic about you moving from law enforcement into really, I see MAD as people being MAD, but I also see it as um, an opportunity for service. Yes. And uh, helping people move in good direction, direction. I was direction. saying
0: the same thing. When we, when we turn kind of our anger outward into service and something like that, that maybe it's healing.
2: Oh, I...
1: I- I, as you know my my efforts uh, meager as they might have been with with compassionate friends uh, with mothers against drunk driving uh, my opportunities uh, wonderful opportunities I've had in my in my life of in the wake of this tragedy to speak to people
0: mm-hmm. has
1: been um, it's very healing for me
0: and making documentary. Uh, the
1: documentary the documentary has been huge over 10,000 copies have been uh, distributed, and there's still a demand for this thing.
2: Yeah, um, and, that's and people can happened. get that through the Wyoming um, Highway Department.
1: Yeah, the Wyoming Department of Transportation.
2: And I think um, you can probably even Google it. Right. Yeah, um, Carl. Before we end the show, it's going to be a minute, but I, I've got Carl and I have something in common. We both like the golf, <laughs> and I know Carl did some golfing with Carly, right? Yeah. Carl? And uh, I asked him if he would uh, read a poem that he sent me probably four years ago, that I was very touched by. And um, Heidi and you also sent me an email, and I asked Heidi if she would read that. Okay. Would you like me to read the email first? Yeah, and then we'll have Carl do the poem for us.
0: Okay, very good. Um, this is the email, Carl, and I hope you don't mind if uh, we read it. Uh,
2: that's okay.
0: Yeah, my mother just showed it to me. It was very, uh, it was touching. I think it's a great thing to read on the air. Um, it says, Gloria, I'm touched that you remember the poem. I've printed it out and will have it with me for the show. It's been quite a while since I've read that one. The images conjured up in rereading it today are some of the most precious I have. I was in the storeroom down the hall from my office earlier today. On, on a shelf in there is a child in, endangerment brochure with Carly's picture on it. It was one of those moments where I just stopped for a bit when no one was watching and allowed myself a moment to be with that image. I allowed myself the luxury of thinking back to the day I took that now famous photograph. How I would trade anything for that image. If the world would trade me the posters, the billboards, the footage they hold so high and just let me be a father once again.
2: Mm. Oh, that was so sweet, Carl. And that's, what, been eight years?
0: Uh,
1: seven and a half. And seven counting. and a half years. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and yeah. W- And they're always with us. And that's the sweet picture of her with the dog? Yes. Yeah. Very sweet. Carl, would you read the poem for us?
1: I will. This is uh, regarding golf courses and the uh, course we used to go to together. I titled it Caddy. There are golf clubs in the corner, unassembled yet, as spring is far away. A golf bag awaits bright red, wrapped in clear cellophane. Empty pockets of expecting pink flying ladies How will it be there at our course by the river, where the carpeted fairways guide to the beckoning yellow flags, her soft footfalls upon the emerald green? The sprinklers will ask for their dancer to join them, creating rainbows with the sun, the curtain of laughter cascading, swaying, surging ever forward to refresh their smallest fan. Yellow empty buckets at the range lay askew, anticipating her little hands to return them for more. Red and white mints in the pro shop watching to reward her labors. Someone will notice. They will speak without knowing. Where's your caddy? will sting across the fairways. The cottonwoods will whisper. And I will die. A little more.
2: Mm. Mm. It's very dear. That's and
0: beautiful. That's very yeah. touching.
2: I grew up playing golf with my dad, so it's very meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Are you still playing?
0: I am.
1: Um, I, although, I, since I've retired from my one job, I'd, I'd really like to know when I'm going to get time to play. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, Carl, before we end the show, is there anything that you feel like you've mi- we've missed that you'd like to say to those folks out there that, that are newly bereaved?
1: You know, I, I just, my experience was one where I was knocked to my knees. I could, not, I could not even get up. And all I was capable of doing was leaning and leaning and then finally putting one step in front of the other. It changed me entirely. That's to be expected. Uh, it it placed me on a path that I didn't have to worry about anymore, which is a little bit of the beauty about life. Um, I, at one point, I thought I was in charge. I thought I was making the decisions. I thought that I was in control. And this 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 horrendous event took place. And what I learned from it, at this distance down the road, is that I didn't have to worry anymore about the path I was on. Or the turns I would take. Just put one foot in front of the other. Keep breathing. One Keep day. moving. And you'll make it.
2: Mhm. Oh, thank you, Carl. What a wonderful way to end the show. And, and it's so great to talk to you.
0: I and appreciate it, Gloria. And we are going to miss you, aren't we, Heidi? I was telling Carl that before the show started. I'm going to miss him a lot this year. He's become an important part of our lives, especially during the conferences.
2: Absolutely, and hopefully you'll be able to make it next year we'll be able to see you on and maybe our Paths Will Cross and in, in some of the work that we're doing.
1: Oh, absolutely. Call anytime. So.
2: It's great to talk to you, Carl, and thanks uh, so much for being on our show today.
1: It's indeed been a pleasure.
0: You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.